0: Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use, with me, a very refreshed Dr. Marie Haynes. I successfully took an entire week off and stayed off of SEO Twitter, and instead of going somewhere for vacation, I was a complete sloth all week and never left my house. It was amazing. (laughs) So there's a running joke that whenever I take a week off or take time away from work, Google runs a big update, and sure enough, we had not one, but probably two significant significant updates while I was happily playing Fortnite and not paying any attention to Google. Uh, I'm going to share with you what we're seeing from the last week and also from the last few months as there's been extreme turbulence in Google's algorithms starting from the end of January and continuing to current day. Uh, So in this episode, I'm going to try to summarize what we know so far about what Google's doing and what we think is happening. This is episode number 174 of search news you can use, and you can find the corresponding online newsletter that goes with this and has much more than what I share in podcast at mariehaines.com newsletter. One final bit of housekeeping before we get into what you need to know about SEO news this week, though, some of you might have noticed that we're a day late in publishing newsletter and also this podcast this week, and that's because we realized that Several of our staff, myself included, were doing superhuman work to try to push all of this out on Wednesday. It was getting later and later in the day, and most people probably wouldn't have a newsletter in their inbox till late in the day on Wednesday. So we decided to move our publishing date to Thursday morning. And that solves a lot of problems for us. So if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you should be able to receive it or download it every Thursday morning, uh, even though I've recorded it the Wednesday before. All right, let's get into some SEO news. Apparently Google made some changes to the PageSpeed Insights tool on March 3rd that probably caused your Speed uh, Insights score to improve. The tool used to use HTTP one. Now it uses HTTP two, which establishes a quicker network connection. And then that means that your score is actually going to be higher. It's going to be better. I don't really think this changes anything for people unless you've been keeping an eye on your scores. So if that's the case, just know that if you saw an improvement in your score on March 3rd, it's probably not because of your work, uh, but rather just because Google changed how they ran the tool. Um, Glenn Gabe pulled an interesting quote out of a Google hangout recently. The question that John Mueller was answering was about a site that lost rich snippets after the December core update. So rich snippets usually mean, uh, like your review stars, things like that, that you mark up on your website and then you hope to see them in the Google search results as markup in the, um, uh in the search results. And uh now we've speculated for a while that Google had some sort of an overall quality score for each website. And John listed a few common reasons not to have rich results. So he listed, you know, maybe technical problems with trying to implement them, or maybe you're doing something that's against Google's guidelines. A really common area where we see this is if you're marking up, uh, review stars on, um, a page that actually doesn't have reviews on it, that type of thing. Uh, but then he went on to say this, he said, quote, and the last one is more of a general, usually site-wide signal that is about the quality of the site overall. He said that if everything is set up correctly and Google's had time to process your markup and you're still not seeing rich results, then that's quote, usually a sign that our quality algorithms around the rich results in general are not hundred percent happy with your website. He went on to explain a way that you can test this using site colon searches, which we've gone into more detail in newsletter. But the interesting part to me was just the phrase about quality algorithms, not being a hundred percent happy with a website. That's nothing earth shattering or new, but it's always interesting to hear more information about how Google's algorithms are trying to elevate sites that they consider high quality. If you used to have rich snippets before an update and they disappear afterwards, you really should be pouring through Google's quality raters guidelines and also their blog post on core updates, which I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, now, So I said at the top of this episode that there were probably two Google updates while I was on vacation last week. And and I know Google runs updates every day, multiple times per day. Uh, Of course there were updates last week, but I'm telling you, these updates were significant. With quite a few sites, we saw some increases on March 1st that were very unusual and very, uh, very significant. But for a lot of those sites, uh, the increases reversed March 5th or 6th. Now, March 5th or 6th was only a few days ago. As I'm recording this, it's March 10th right now. So I don't have a whole lot of insight into this, but I'm gonna tell you that we had more sites affected than usual. A good number of our recent clients are seeing really, really nice gains after whatever happened on March 5th or 6th. And quite a few of our older clients are admittedly seeing losses as well. So in the past, my job when I see this type of data is to figure out what is it that Google changed. And the reason why we do that is so that we can have some sort of a framework to help us understand what should we be focusing on in our SEO efforts. My team and I realized this week though, that doing this really isn't as valuable as it used to be in the past. And here's why. Think back to say 10 years ago when we had Google updates then. I'm sure some of you remember when Panda first rolled out in 2011. It was really useful at that time to try to understand what it was that Google changed. We had all sorts of theories and they're still debated to this day. We had discussions in the SEO community that Panda demoted websites with thin content. And then we debated about whether duplicate content could contribute to Panda. And while our conclusions as an SEO community on what types of things Panda affected, they weren't always completely agreed upon across the whole community, but this discussion gave us good hints as to what to try to improve for sites that were hit. Similarly, Penguin was an update that had very clear and obvious focus. It's funny though, everybody says that Penguin was about link quality, but if you look at Google's blog post on this update, they actually talk about a number of other web spam issues that Penguin tries to neutralize as well. But still, if you had a client whose traffic plummeted on April 24th, 2012, which was when Penguin rolled out, it's pretty obvious what the cause of that was. And your roadmap as an SEO would be a little more clear because you knew that you'd be focusing on links and link quality. And then the last few years, we've still been analyzing every update, trying to find patterns because it helps us decide what to work on. So think back to the August 1st, 2018 update. This was a core update and Google didn't name it, but the community, the SEO community named it Medic because it very clearly affected a lot of medical sites. But knowing that this site, this update affected a lot of medical sites, it didn't really help us help those medical sites. Now, just before that update, we pulled some things out of the quality raters guidelines. There were recent additions that hinted that the raters were going to start assessing whether particular sites could be seen as dangerous to the safety of users. And we did find some similarities where sites with widespread reputation issues were affected by the August 1st, 2018 update. So that's a little more helpful because then we can look at a client's review profile online and we can instruct them on not only improving their review profile, but also assessing where there are problems in their business. If people all over the web are complaining about your refund policy or your rude staff or some other widespread problem with your business, then this is something that we really believe Google is measuring. It's in the quality raters guidelines, and we can talk about how Google measures it, um, you know, we found patents that show that they can look at review sentiment and other stuff like that, but knowing how Google could do these things, in my opinion, is not as important as knowing that they can do it. So I'm thinking back to core updates over the last couple of years. In June of 2019, we had an update that, uh, it was a core update that really strongly affected alternative medical sites. And this didn't come as a surprise to us because Google had added stuff to the quality raters guidelines that mentioned in several places how important it was for medical advice to not contradict what's generally accepted as good in the medical scientific community. Again, we can have all sorts of arguments about how or whether Google can do this. I think it's all connected to entity information. And I have, I have a bunch of theories on how Google's algorithms could determine whether medical content is contrary to scientific consensus, but how Google does it doesn't really matter. With the May core update in May, 2020, it was a little bit harder for us to find specific patterns amongst the sites that were affected. I'm looking back at our Algo update list, and I see that on May 4th, 2020, I wrote, quote, in our early analysis, our early analysis shows that Google appears to be rewarding, truly valuable content, especially content that's written by somebody with firsthand experience. But beyond that, we couldn't find a lot of patterns to analyze to say, oh, if your site was affected, this is likely the issue. And the same thing happened with the December core update following that. One of the things that I do whenever there's a significant update is look at sites that have come to us saying that they've had a drop in traffic. And then I try to find keywords that they've ranked well for, for quite some time that appear to have been affected with this update. We use a combination of a bunch of different tools that allow us to do that and to to find the keywords, to analyze, and then also to see which... Uh, which ser- What the search results looked like before and after the update. And most of the time, while we can't pinpoint one specific reason why this happened, we can usually look at pages that performed well with the update and recognize that they truly are more relevant to the query, to the keyword uh, that was searched for. The same is true of almost all of the unannounced updates that we've had in January, in February of this year, and now also in March. I I started off intensely analyzing each of these updates and in almost every case, when we compare pages that won versus pages that lost, and we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who searched for that query, we can really see why searchers would prefer to land on the page that Google promoted. One example of a page that outranked uh, one of our clients was a medical article that was written by a nurse and the medical article didn't have references like Google likes to see, like was laid out in the quality raters guidelines. And there was no information on the author other than to say that she was a nurse. It was the type of page that my team would have looked at and flagged as a page that was lacking in elements of EAT, yet this page started to outrank one of our client's posts. uh, And our client has excellent EAT for this subject. So why would Google elevate a post that was lacking in EAT relative to our client? Because as a searcher, the answer to my question, and it's in our our client's post, but it's a little bit convoluted. And you need to read through a fair amount of, of, of information to come to the conclusion that you were trying to find. But in the post that was elevated and that just has a little bit of EAT information, I actually found the answer to my query within a few seconds of landing on the article. As a searcher, that article really was more useful. Now that doesn't mean that we can make a rule saying, ah, Google is now evaluating posts that thoroughly answer your question in the first paragraph. I mean, maybe they are, and maybe that's something that searchers find valuable, but it's not something that we're going to make widespread recommendations across every site that we review. So hopefully at some point in the future, I'll have an article out where I can show you some specific examples that I pulled from the web, as opposed to just vaguely talking about client sites. The, The point that I'm trying to get across here is that there really isn't a lot of value these days in trying to determine specifically what it is that Google changed with a big update at least not the same value that uh, we saw in the past. When I first started doing this, I keep talking about this Google video. I've mentioned it probably in every podcast episode for the last uh, few months called trillions of questions, no easy answers. And really the thing that they keep talking about over and over again was how proud they are of their increased use of deep learning to better understand language. If you've been in SEO for more than a few years, you're really used to what Google calls rules-based algorithms. So rules-based algorithms, they're a lot easier to reverse engineer. These new algorithms that use machine learning and natural language processing, they're not rules-based and we, they're very hard to reverse engineer them. I think we only know a tiny bit of how advanced Google's become when it comes to understanding language. And I know there are some of you out there who are saying, no, no, but the sites that are ranking above me now after this update, they're not a better answer for the search query. And, you know, in a lot of cases, I'd question you on that. Sometimes we think what, what we think is better for the user is not actually what the user is looking for. Um, So again, I want to get you some more specific examples to to share what I'm trying to say here. Uh, But let's, let's recap what we've seen in the last few weeks. We'll go back to the end of January. January 27th was some kind of significant update. It affected a lot of sites, but Google didn't announce anything. We did, I looked at a few sites that were affected by this, and I found the same thing as we've found with other updates, that there's no specific thing that was the same amongst sites that were hit other than pages that declined were outranked by ones that did a better job at meeting the searchers needs. So then we had January 31st, which was not a Google update, but a lot of people's analytics are really messed up because there were bot attacks in Google analytics. And it's very hard to see what happens after that, which I think for a lot of websites, it kind of obscured other things that were happening around that time in particular, uh, changes to Google's algorithms. Um, and then a few days later, starting around February 6th, again, there was something that I really felt was a huge update. I thought initially that this was connected to passage based ranking, but then Google told us that they launched that on February 10th, which was four days later. I talked about that a lot in my last couple of episodes, so you can go back and listen to those You know, if you want to get more background on what Google has said about passage-based ranking. I, I do believe that passage-based ranking helps Google find the gold amongst pages that maybe are lacking structure or maybe even lacking EAT, but this is likely just one component of the recent advances that Google's implemented when it comes to understanding language. So then Barry Schwartz noted that February 17th was a big update. Uh, I actually think it's February 16th as we've had sites reach out to us saying that they saw massive drops on this day. This, this was not a minor update. There was something significant that happened. One of the sites that reach out to us is a really authoritative site that's been around since the 90s. I used to use it all the time and they, they saw a drop of at least 60% of their organic traffic. And then there was another update, probably not as big as what we saw on the 16th, uh, but on the 20th of February. Now, I'm not sure, but this could be connected to an observation that Dr. Pete from Moz made um, on the 19th of February was that uh, there was a large drop in the number of featured snippets that Google's displaying, especially for YMYL verticals. Uh, So that might be reflected in what we saw February 20th. I'll have to investigate that a little bit further uh, to see if that's the case. And then I've already mentioned that something big happened on March 5th or 6th as well. March 1st, it's debatable whether that was an update. I I don't know. It was kind of weird what happened there. It it could be a test for something. But I do think that March 5th, uh, and Barry Schwartz called it March 6th, we are seeing our first movement March 5th with a lot of sites, uh, was something quite significant. So I've I've heard people speculating that maybe many of the sites that were affected were ones with issues with core web vitals, um, but that doesn't become a ranking factor until May. And honestly, most sites that we look at, if you look at the Google search console section for core web vitals, they have something wrong with it. Uh, Almost every site has something to improve on when it comes to core web vitals. We're finding less and less that updates have a single focus and more and more that Google's just getting better at surfacing helpful content. So what do you do if you were affected or if you have clients that were affected by either the December core update or one of these many significant unannounced updates that have happened since then? Well, something else that we had in our newsletter this week was a quote that we pulled out of a recent help hangout with John Mueller, where somebody asked about a question uh, about a site that was suffering a very large traffic drop after the December core update. They lost 50% of their traffic and pretty much all of their Discover traffic. That's something we commonly see if your site was affected by a core update uh, that often you, it seems that there's a a threshold of quality in order to be uh, listed in Discover. So if you've suddenly lost, if you were used to having a bunch of discover traffic and then you've lost it, this can be a sign that maybe these quality algorithms that Google has are not happy with your site. So here's John's answer to this uh, question about a December core update drop. He said, quote, So with the core update, it's not so much that we're flagging problems within a website and saying that we think this website is bad or has a problem, but more we're trying to understand the relevance of these pages a little bit better. And that fits with all that I've just been saying. I mean, if you were hit with a recent Google update, it is probably connected to Google's understanding of relevance and language. So how do we fix this? And for many years now, if you ask Google what to do after you've been affected by a Google update, their answer is always create great content. It's a meme, essentially. (laughs) Man, that's a word that's new to my vocabulary. I I asked my 13-year-old what a meme is a little while back, and she just walked around the house pointing at me saying, meme. (laughs) I have no idea what she meant. And actually, that reminds me, I haven't lived up to my promise to learn the moves to the renegade TikTok dance like I promised I would. I need to get on that. (laughs) Well, I'll be giving a talk for SMX Munich next week, virtually, of course. And I have an image in my talk from many years ago of Matt Cutts saying, create great content as the answer to pretty much every question he was asked. And we've we've always said that Google is kind of vague in their recommendations here. I mean, what really is great content? Well, let's go back to this answer that John gave to the person whose site had seen drops with the December core update. His advice was this, I'm quoting again. We have a blog post about about core updates that has a little bit more background information on the kinds of things we look for when trying to understand relevance. If you're doing SEO and you have not read Google's blog post called What Webmasters Need to Know About Core Updates, you're missing out. Pretty much every time a site owner comes to us that's been affected by a Google update these days, we can point out several things in this blog post that very clearly are serious issues on their site. John said there's rarely one simple thing to focus on, but rather, quoting again, lots of small things that kind of add up and a lot that is listed in the blog post as well. Now I'm not going to rehash this entire blog, p- blog post in this podcast episode, because I've done that a few times. Uh, this is the blog post that has questions to ask yourself. Like, does the content provide substantial value when provided or when compared to other pages in the search results? Many of us are used to, as SEOs, we're used to this pattern where we create content. And, and what we do is we create something that's equally as good. as what our competitors have and what's currently ranking. And then we try to get links to that content to convince Google's algorithms that our post is a better one than the ones they're already ranking. Now links are still very important, especially if you're getting mentions from authoritative sites in your vertical. But as Google gets better at understanding language, at understanding the intent behind a searcher's query, And even at understanding individual passages of text on a page, I believe Matt Cutt's words of create great content are even more important today than they ever were. I'm going to lay out briefly my recommendations. If you were hit by one of these updates, it's always a good idea to do a technical audit of your website when you've suffered a drop, but a core update hit is not likely in my opinion, to be reversed by improving your technical SEO. But every little thing that you can do to improve your website, they can help improve your rankings to some degree. So yes, you should be crawling your site and fixing your 404 errors and getting your canonicals right and working on improving your core web vitals. But these really, in my opinion, are just a baseline of keeping your site healthy. So once you're satisfied that your site is technically sound, then according to Google's blog post on what webmasters need to know about core updates, there are two main things we need to pay attention to. The first of these is EAT. And I'm not talking about trying to game EAT. Adding an author bio to your post is probably not going to recover you from a core update hit. But if the pages that are outranking you now all have authors with incredible expertise then that's a clue that adding authors that have appropriate expertise could help improve your post's ability to rank. Um, Many of the questions that Google asks in this blog post, they're related to expertise. They ask, is this content written by an expert or enthusiast who demonstrably knows the topic well? And if you researched the site producing content, would you come away with an impression that it is well trusted or widely recognized as an authority on its topic? I had somebody ask me on Twitter this week about a site of theirs that they were struggling to rank. And the information, the site it had information to help people buy pressure washers. Now, I didn't read all the articles thoroughly, but Looking at them briefly, I saw no information to tell me why the author of these articles was qualified to teach me about pressure washers. There was no about page, there was no author bio. So let's say this site made an author bio and described how the author of these posts has been buying pressure washers for 10 years and has a lot of knowledge on how they work. Well, that's a little bit better. But it's still not likely to make me as a reader convinced that this is the most trustworthy source to help me make this big buying decision. So what would need to be done in order to convince a reader and also Google's algorithms that this site is the one I should trust when I'm trying to learn which pressure washer to buy? Well, this is where EAT comes into play, especially the authoritativeness, If I owned this site, I would be trying to find ways to get mentioned on DIY blogs. And I'm not talking about stuff that I submit myself, like, hey, would you publish this guest post or uh, could you link to me if I link back to you or stuff like that? I'd be producing guides on buying pressure washers that go beyond the obvious and really do help people make their decision better. And if I couldn't get people to link to those guides, then I'd start by brainstorming with my colleagues on what people's problems are when they buy pressure washers and figuring out how could I make a piece of content that maybe do-it-yourself bloggers would truly want to link to. Like maybe, I don't know, uh, an experiment where I take 10 pressure washers and I clean one square of my deck with each of them to see which did the best job and which was easiest to use. Unique, well-done studies are often a really great way to earn natural links. But I think you can see the problem here because probably somebody who runs an affiliate website talking about pressure washers doesn't own 10 pressure washers to do this test. I mean, in order to, do, to own several pressure washers, you, you'd have to be like a store that sells them or a really well-known blogger who gets sent free product often. Think about it, those are, the, those are the, the posts that Google's ranking. A store that has expertise in this area, or a blogger who uh, really is known as like, they're so well known, now I'm not saying you need to get sent free product in order to rank well, but you don't get sent free product unless you already have some level of authority. And see, in the past, I I could say, oh, I'm an expert on this, and and I could just gather as much information from the web as I can and put it on my website, and it could be seen in the past as good content, even if I'd never used a pressure washer myself. So to, to summarize, in order for the site about pressure washers to actually be seen as a site that has good EAT, they'd have to clearly demonstrate that they have extensive firsthand expertise that they have recommendations from other people seen as authorities when it comes to pressure washers and that they have content. So this is the second part there's EAT and then needs met that they have content that's really more helpful than what I could just go to Amazon or to the sites that currently are ranking well to find. And that's no easy task, especially if you do not have actual firsthand expertise. So we're still going to be analyzing updates and finding as many ways as we can to help our clients make websites that Google considers high enough quality to rank for important terms. But my guess is that we're going to be finding fewer and fewer recommendations that we can give as blanket advice to help all websites, to help all SEOs that can help all of their clients that were impacted by a specific update. When Google's quality raters assess sites, they're told to use sliders to rate firstly the EAT of a page and secondly, whether a searcher's needs have been met. I really think the most successful sites from this point on are going to be ones that can demonstrate really good EAT and also go above and beyond when it comes to giving the searcher the type of content that they're looking for. Well, that was a lot of stuff. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I'll be speaking at SMX Munich virtually, talking about auditing your content to find areas to improve upon to improve quality. Uh, I saw in the newsletter that my team put out last week while I was on vacation that there was a promise that you'd learn a lot about Fortnite when I got back. Well, I'll tell you, I got a lot better at the game by playing it far too many hours last week. (laughs) I know most of you don't know the ins and outs of Fortnite, but there's a competitive section uh, to Fortnite called Arena. And if you get to Division 8 in Arena, it's called Champs Division. And people in Champs Division can compete in cash cups to try to, not that I need to make extra money from Fortnite, but I'd love to compete in these cash cups to. Uh, and you can even compete in the Fortnite Champion Series, which is eventually leads to, uh, well, a couple years ago, it was the World Cup. It's all mixed up now because of uh, the pandemic. Um, so my goal for this season of Fortnite was to make it to Division 7, just one before champions. Camps, uh, and that's really hard. And, and I didn't want to make it there by just you can you can sort of do that by hiding. It's called camping and not actually fighting people. Um, and I camped the last couple of games, I'll tell you. But I I did really well. I've improved my fighting skills, and uh, uh, I I really really enjoy this game so much. I had a great talk last week with some of the creators of a training program called Novos. Uh, if you do want to get better at Fortnite, I definitely recommend it. They they were not paying me to say this or anything. It's just a really good program. So we were talking about some of the studies that showed uh, the benefits of playing a fast paced game like Fortnite. It turns out that it can actually train some of the neural pathways in your brain to get better at seeing patterns, which is a really good thing when your job involves figuring out what Google's doing on a day to day basis. So uh, the Novos people, they're setting up something to help kids who want to go pro with Fortnite or even make careers out of uh, content creation on YouTube for Fortnite. So they're setting up something to help these kids talk to their parents. Cause it's hard to explain to parents that they're not just sitting around wasting their lives on video games. And, uh, anyways, Novos asked if I'd help out with that, which I think is really, really cool. So I told them to watch out for me as a success story and using their training program. I'm I'm 47 right now, and my next goal in Fortnite is to be the oldest woman ever to qualify to play in a Fortnite championship series. So I don't have any tips right now for getting better at Fortnite, but who knows, uh, something I'd love to do one day is, is stream myself playing Fortnite and talking about SEO at the same time, and maybe maybe playing with some of you who, uh, who play, and we can have conversations about Google's algorithms while we do that. Uh, That'll probably happen once I have better internet, though, at at our house, which actually may not be too far from now because we just signed up for Elon Musk's uh, Starlink. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to reach me, you can find me on Twitter at Marie underscore Haynes, or you can reach my team at help at If you made it this far in the episode, I would love for you to leave a like on whatever platform you're on. Uh, I hope you're managing okay in the midst of all this crazy algorithmic turbulence. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm-hmm.